0: Hey y'all, welcome to the Appalachian Overlook, a metaphorical ride up these winding mountain roads where we'll explore topics and questions about what it means to live a good life in Appalachia. My name is Sarah Saavedra and I'll be your host in these conversations, airing here on 90.7 WEHC, The Voice of Southwest Virginia, and also available as a podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. On this episode, we'll dive into what I've learned about sobriety and alcohol in this journey and what has been helpful for me, some tools, some tricks, some things that I guess there are no tricks here, but you know, some things that I've found to be helpful and really kind of what worked for me and what didn't. This is a follow-up episode um, from our last episode, episode six, where I shared my story of sobriety and how I got here. And so this episode, will just dive into the practical ways that I found to help with my sobriety. So I hope you'll enjoy, listen along, and thanks again for joining me on the Appalachian Overlook. All right, folks, well thanks so much for joining me on this episode of the Appalachian Overlook. We're talking about the hows of sobriety, tools and tips and things that I've learned along the way. I'd like to start off by sharing uh, just something I jotted down in my journal um, quite a long time ago when I started this journey. And that just stuck out to me as kind of the guiding force and, and something that I referred back to a lot on this journey. If my life is a result of the things I do regularly, I want to make sure those things are mostly good for me and enjoyable and spark joy. This has been and continues to be an incredible journey for me. When I realized alcohol was a foe and not my friend, like I thought, the questions rolled around in my head. How do I stop drinking? What do I replace drinking with? Am I an alcoholic? How do I handle social situations where everyone is drinking and people ask me why I'm not? What the heck do I do for fun now? What about vacation? Should I join a group? I've shared how I arrived at the conclusion that my life was a bit unmanageable and I suspected that alcohol was doing me no favors and quickly becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. If I didn't act, I would become my alcoholic parents. But I wasn't the picture of an alcoholic that I grew up with, right? I was in good health. I managed my household alone as a single mom. No legal issues, no DUIs. So where does someone like me go for sobriety support? I was mentally a bit dependent on alcohol, but not physically dependent. So places like an inpatient treatment facility just wasn't designed for someone like me. I spent a lot of time devouring sober literature and self-help books. I started with This Naked Mind, Control Alcohol and Find Freedom and Discover Happiness and Change Your Life by Annie Grace. There was a lot of uh, (laughs) phrases there in that title that were exactly what I was looking for. So this is the book I started with. I just dove into this book while my partner was in treatment grace took the stigma out of the alcoholism for me and instead she presented the scientific psychological and neurological components of alcohol use in this book she presents her story and the science of alcohol use effects on our brain in such a way that turned on the light switch for me i realized that i was like that metaphorical frog in a pot and the pot was about to boil me alive without me noticing virginia Woolf once said you cannot find peace by avoiding life and avoiding life is what I was doing. Another quote I really like: Jean Kilborn said, addiction begins with the hope that something out there can instantly fill up the emptiness inside. Alcohol promised me relief from life and instant happiness and good times, but it never delivered on these promises. The answer to happiness and relief would have to come from inside and could never come from alcohol. For me, untangling all of these mental assumptions, uh, society, culture, you know, the mommy wine culture, I could go on an entire episode about mommy wine culture, right? That moms need wine to relax. Just untangling all of those ideas for me that alcohol was actually not a relief from life. It was actually not something that would relieve my anxiety. It was not the key to happiness. It was not the key to having a good time with my friends. Untangling all of those assumptions that I had in my head about alcohol was crucial to changing my relationship with alcohol, right? So that's why This Naked Mind, uh, the book, was really helpful for me because it kind of just went through all of that very logically, scientifically, neurologically, and showed me a different way to look at alcohol and that helped me so much in the beginning of my journey to really get an idea of what alcohol really is what it really does to my body so that I could look at it objectively. Here's a selection that I highlighted from the book to just give you a little taste of what I'm talking about. You achieve relaxation by removing the source of discontent. Alcohol by definition cannot relax you. Now, you may wonder about the numbing effects of alcohol. Surely, alcohol would help numb pain. Yes, alcohol will numb your brain and your senses. It will numb you in such a fashion that, if you drink enough, it will render you unconscious. And unconsciousness will relieve your pain. But saying this is a good idea is like saying it's a good idea to go under the guillotine because you have a migraine. There are better solutions. A 2012 study shows that alcohol makes you less capable of dealing with stress and anxiety. Researchers gave mice doses of alcohol for a month, then ran tests to compare the mice that had been drinking with normal mice. The mice were put in stressful situations to measure their reactions. Alcohol literally rewired the mice's brains to make them unable to deal with anxiety and stress. Many find this shocking, but if you drink regularly, you probably already know this is true. If you are truly happy and relaxed, you have no need or desire to change your state of mind. Looking back, I see that my constant need to drink to relax myself was really proof that alcohol was not relaxing me. If alcohol helped me achieve relaxation, wouldn't it follow that I wouldn't need as much of it? If alcohol cured my stress, wouldn't I need less, not more of it over time? No, alcohol does not relax you. It does not fix the stress in your life. Rather, it inebriates you, which covers the pain for a short amount of time. As soon as it wears off, your stress returns and over time, multiplies. Ultimately, this book and the ideas inside gave me a new perspective on the nature of alcohol. Alcohol is chemically a poison. It actually makes anxiety worse, and if you drink enough of it for long enough, you'll be physically dependent on it it was clear to me while reading this book that alcohol was masking my problems and if I truly wanted to be stress-free if I truly wanted to be happy and feel exuberant and feel those just euphoric highs that you think you're getting with alcohol that if if I really wanted that authentically in my life that alcohol had to be removed 100% and that I had to get down to the root problems of my issues instead of trying to mask it with alcohol. Here's where I feel responsible to mention that alcohol is in a class of drugs that you can actually die from the side effects of withdrawal. If you are physically dependent on alcohol and need to drink to feel normal, get rid of the shakes, etc., then you should consult with your doctor. There are medications that may help uh, taper off or inpatient treatment options that might be necessary for you. So don't go about this lightly. If you are a heavy drinker to the point that you need alcohol just to function, that might be a sign that you should really consult your doctor about quitting drinking. Once I finished this naked mind by any grace, I was convinced mentally, but perhaps not emotionally. Drinking was habitual for me. Every evening, every celebration, every hard day, every good day, and habits are hard to break. I realized I needed a new ritual, new habits to replace drinking, and they needed to be good for me. By this time, my partner, who is now my fiancé, was home from treatment. He was committed to AA meetings, signing up for 90 and 90, which is 90 meetings and 90 days, a common goal for alcoholics who go through a program. AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, is a program I was familiar with. I can remember reading through my dad's copy of the Blue Book. Alcoholics Anonymous is a program that has helped millions of addicts recover and stay recovered. There's even a list. The 12 Steps is a list that I thought I'd be excited to get behind. Rules, right? And a community. I love community. I was nervous to attend a meeting, but hoped I would find a group of folks I could learn from. I tried a few different meetings different places different groups even checked out al-anon which is more for family members of alcoholics and the meeting structure just it just wasn't for me y'all uh you know i know that for my partner it was crucial and necessary he says it was definitely the thing that um, really helped him through his journey but for me i just couldn't find anyone else i could relate to as a codependent or as someone who knew right? I wanted to break up with alcohol, but I hadn't hit quote unquote rock bottom. And I'll have to be honest, the God thing, the higher power thing was still too traumatic for me to dive into yet. Around here in Southwest Virginia, of course, we're in the Bible belt. And so all of the meetings I went to included our father prayers and things I was just really uncomfortable with. So AA rituals were not for me. So what would I What would be my thing? It was really tough. Lucky enough, I had an established relationship with my therapist who I had started seeing after my divorce. I'll never forget when I asked her why letting go was so hard for me. And she looked at me and she said, because Sarah, honey, you're a codependent with anxious attachment issues. It's like a light bulb went off for me. Although I'm sure she had discussed this with me before, it's the first time I heard it and I understood that I needed to address those issues. So thankfully she gave me a place to start codependency, anxious attachment. I started Googling and reading and really diving into the root of my issues with alcohol. I think this is a good place to stop here and take a break for a song from my playlist. This song really put this artist, Morgan Wade, on the map from Floyd, Virginia. And she now calls Damascus, Virginia home. She's now touring with huge acts like Jason Isbell, has released her debut album, and signed to Sony Records. She is proudly sober, and we bonded backstage at a Thursday Jams in 2019 over our love of Topo Chico. If you know, you know. This is a song about the struggle of addiction. Enjoy Morgan Wade and her song, The Night.
1: By summer's in I predict that I will finally Lost my mind The doctor said That these new pills They might help me this time And I hope that's the case Cause I feel I am wasting one Life that I have The chances they come And the chances they go time
0: Folks, that was Morgan Wade with her song, The Night. Uh, It was from our vinyl sessions online. Please check her out. She's got some great stuff, and it's good to get in on the ground floor while you can still see her in smaller venues because I guarantee that's not going to last for long. You're listening to 90.7 WEHC, the voice of Southwest Virginia, and this is the Appalachian Overlook. I'm Sarah Saavedra, your host, and we are just outside of the middle of this podcast episode, so if you are catching this in the middle, please uh, go to wherever you listen to podcasts, Spotify, iTunes that sort of thing and find this and start it from the beginning. We are talking about sobriety and my journey with sobriety and kind of the tips and tools and things that worked for me because everybody is very different. Although we are all connected, some of us can share the similarities and stories that may help each other. And so that's what I'm doing now. So we talked about you know, AA meetings and how they weren't for me. I have read uh, This Naked Mind, and that was really great, um, and really helping me change my mindset about alcohol and what it did or did not do for me. Um, but AA just wasn't for me, and so I started looking at sort of the core root issues, the things that I was trying to mask with alcohol, and those were codependence and attachment issues, which of course, if you listen to my story, were, you know, stemming from growing up with two alcoholic parents who died very young and, you know, sort of being a parent myself from a very young age. So when I decided to embrace sobriety, you know, those meetings weren't for me. So I went to my oldest friend, which are books. I started reading and journaling about codependency and you know it really just was wild how I'd heard that term and you know my therapist even mentioned the term to me but it wasn't until I really started digging in and looking at the characteristics of a codependent that I was like oh my gosh first of all I'm not all that different right like they they have written a list of bullet-pointed characteristics here that define some of the unmanageable things in my life to a T um, but it's much too complicated to really shortly describe so if you're like me and you were you're sort of like well I, I hear the term codependent it sounds like someone who's really needy that kind of thing obviously sharing my story I wasn't a real needy person on the outside on the outside I had all of the caretaker you know characteristics i took care of everybody and everything the problem was I was dependent on taking care of everyone else before myself. And so to me, that's kind of uh, the easiest way to describe codependency. But let's take a look at some of the characteristics of a codependent. This is the list I stumbled on when I first started looking um, from CODA.org, that's C-O-D-A dot O-R-G, and that stands for codependence Anonymous. Yes, they even have anonymous groups for codependence. None, unfortunately, around here, mostly bigger cities. Um, so I've never tried one of those meetings out but i found their literature to be very helpful so let's dig into some of these characteristics that resonated with me codependents often have difficulty identifying what they are feeling minimize alter or deny how they truly feel perceive themselves as completely unselfish and dedicated to the well-being of others label others with their negative traits think they can take care of themselves without any help from others mask pain in various ways such as anger, humor, or isolation, express negativity or aggression in indirect and passive ways, do not recognize the unavailability of those people to whom they are attracted. Codependents often have difficulty making decisions, judge what they think, say, or do harshly as never good enough, are embarrassed to receive recognition, praise, or gifts, Value others' approval of their thinking, feelings, and behavior over their own. Do not perceive themselves as lovable or worthwhile persons. Seek recognition and praise to overcome feeling less than. Have difficulty admitting a mistake. Needs to appear to be right in the eyes of others and may even lie to look good. Are unable to identify or ask for what they need or want. Look to others to provide their sense of safety have trouble setting healthy priorities and boundaries often they compromise their own values and integrity to avoid rejection or anger are extremely loyal remaining in harmful situations for too long put aside their own interests in order to do what others want are hyper vigilant regarding the feelings of others and take on their feelings give up their truth to gain the approval of others or to avoid change there's a the whole list, guys. This is definitely not um, the only list of things, and not all of those things necessarily pertain to me, but definitely some of them did. Um, and so if, if any of those really dinged a light bulb in your head as like, oh gosh, like, is she talking directly to me? <laughs> I felt the same way. So check those out, maybe start exploring codependency and recovering from that um, on your journey. The way I think of this is that I w- as a child... Right? I skipped right over the childhood development stages and went straight to a pseudo adult. The characteristics of codependency were coping mechanisms that I developed as a child as sort of a fight or flight response, right? Not leaning on these coping mechanisms as an adult, right? When I started trying to work through these and, and to look at my coping mechanisms and change them because they no longer served me, it felt dangerous. It felt scary. Like life or death. Of course, logically, I knew that healthier ways to cope with emotions and take care of myself would be good for me, for my inner child. But that inner child, that little Sarah threw out danger, danger signals when I tried to, you know, modify my behavior. Three and a half years later, and I'm still reading and journaling about codependency. I'm in a new book right now uh, called Facing Codependency. Those pre-verbal ways of feeling safe as a child, right? Like I developed these mechanisms before I could even speak to feel safe as a as a toddler, as an infant. They're deeply ingrained and they're so complex to work through. But as someone who wasn't really aware of my own feelings, it was overwhelming at first. So my advice here, be kind to yourself. Talk to yourself like you would a child. Learn to listen to your gut right? Like in codependency, we ignore our feelings. We're not even sure what they are, but we have, we all have that innate gut feeling, that intuition, learn to listen to yourself, nurture yourself. Here's some online resources I really liked. I devoured, and I'm saying that word a lot because it really just describes how I felt (laughs) consuming some of this information. Uh, Reddit forums, there are forums specific to codependency. There's, um, specific to partners of alcoholics and children of alcoholics I read those forums and found people who I could relate to and had success and what they did and that was really helpful for me I also really love Young Pueblo he's on Instagram he also has some books and they're labeled as poetry books but I find that they're just short snippets really easily digestible ways to think about myself and taking care of myself and fighting codependency that's Young Pueblo. i put all these notes in the podcast notes. And then also the holistic psychologist on Instagram. She also has a book out now I haven't read yet, but it's called Do the Work. And she's all about sharing this free information so that everyone has access to do the work, whether they have access to therapy or not. And I highly recommend her. She also has some YouTube discussions, um, videos about codependency. So those were really great resources for me how I learned to take care of myself. So alcohol-free rituals were really important for me. Um, I started small and added slowly. I drank a lot of seltzer water at first, right? Lots of bubblies and LaCroix and Topo Chico's. Um, you know, it was just something to replace the drink in my hand every night. So th- that was a good place to start. But then I also started running. I started running for stress relief and committing to take care of myself, and I've mentioned this before, just like I would my children. I started parenting myself, if you will. I read a book called Switch, How to Change When Change is Hard, and started to implement some of those strategies to incorporate new habits. One that I still remember when I'm struggling, one tip from that book, was to preload the decision. Lots of science behind how few decisions we actually make. Most of our actions are habitual. So preloading the decision is pretty much scheduling your habit so you don't have to fight yourself with the should I, shouldn't I, talk yourself out of it, procrastinate yourself out of the habit you're trying to set up for yourself. So for me, for running, I scheduled my runs at the beginning of each week and had my clothes and my shoes ready in my car the night before. Again, this was like parenting myself because I was doing the same thing for my kids, right? Like if they had band, I made sure they had their instrument. I made sure they remembered to put it by the door. If they had marching band, I made sure they had their shoes and their outfit and everything that they needed. So I started doing the same thing for myself, preloading that decision. Running got me moving it helped me clear my head and get perspective on what was troubling me and the endorphins were quite the reward that was really helpful to me. So regular movement, you can get those endorphins anyway. You don't have to run. I loved running for me. Um, it was just the most accessible thing for me. You can run anywhere, right? And all you need is a decent pair of shoes. I was totally hooked. Um, but I would say definitely walking, um, doing jumping jacks, yoga. I mean, shoot, you can do anything um, that makes you happy. Jump rope, hike, swim, paddleboard. I mean, there are a million things that you could do, but movement of any sort um, is a really good habit to get into. And one that I find really helps replace uh, some of those endorphins that you thought you were getting from alcohol, uh, some of those good feelings. It also helps wear you out. So you're tired, you can sleep better. And all of those things really helped me uh, while I was kicking the alcohol habit. Other tools that I, I used, uh, journaling for sure, was really helpful. Sometimes I cringe looking back on my journal entries, but they're all part of me and it helps me to see how far I've come. So journal and you don't have to be writing a memoir. It doesn't have to be something that you want anyone to ever see, but just write it down. It really helps. Meditation really helped me a lot also just to get in touch with my feelings, figure out how I actually felt about a situation. I had to stop myself to really um, develop that habit but then also new hobbies. Um, I have, I'm looking at right now as I'm recording, probably 50 different succulents in the windows of my house. My windows are covered at this point. That was a new hobby for me. It helped get my hands in the dirt and feeling something concrete. I really enjoyed that gardening outside when the weather was great. was also a new hobby for me. Um, So find some new hobbies, whatever it may be. Try your hand at a bunch of different ones. See what sticks. So my favorite meditation authors, One Breath at a Time, Buddhism and the 12 Steps, that was a great book and it took the higher power God stuff that um, tripped me up at AA meetings and put them in kind of more of a Buddhist, more of a holistic approach. I loved that book a lot. So the key for me was to start to recognize how I was feeling, reacting and speaking to myself. I avoided hanging out in bars or breweries, so in AA they talk about people, places, things that might trigger you. So at first I did avoid hanging out in those places. It was kind of sad for me. Those were places where I felt like I had built community, but naturally those who were mostly drinking buddies kind of faded away in my life. It was a little lonely at times. One thing to look for is people to connect with. I was lucky to have four or five friends who I could connect with alcohol-free, and it wasn't weird. And so that was really important to me. So avoid isolating behaviors. Uh, avoid isolating yourself and try to find some, a trusted community uh, of folks that you can rely on and they can rely on you and really connect. Again, I'll say it over and over again. We are all connected even when it feels like we are alone. There's so much more. I thank you for listening to me kind of ramble on through all these little things that helped me and that I feel like uh, were useful. They may not be useful to you. Honestly, you may prefer the meetings, Uh, the meetings, church, your family. These might be tools that are more helpful for you. Um, but we all have a different path and so I hope that if any of this resonates with you that you'll give it a try and see where you can go I'd love to hear from you if you have any questions or wonder about something please don't hesitate to reach out on Facebook you can message me there or uh, comment on the podcast uh, episode notes and I'll be sure to answer. Thank you so much for joining me on the Appalachian Overlook. I hope you'll keep joining me on this journey as we discover more and more things about living a good life here in Appalachia. I'm your host Sarah Savedra. we will see you next time.